Ephesians 4 is where we are. Uh, after last week's sermon, I heard some people say, man, that was brutal. To that, I have two things, I guess. Number one is it wasn't the full sermon, so please know that. Uh, this is part two of that sermon, and so the second part of the sermon isn't as brutal. I just didn't get there. I ran out of time. Uh, the other thing is maybe it needed to be. Maybe it needed to be brutal for us. Uh, I do feel it is my job to point out things that maybe we need to get better at. And when you come across a verse, such as Ephesians 4, uh, verse 14, of really where we were, things just need to be brought up. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And the fact is, it's just very evident that this is the case all over the place, and including even here. You can't deny that, right? Even in our own town, even in our own place. And it'd be, it'd be faulty to think that even our own church doesn't maybe struggle with that, that maybe there isn't some within our congregation or all that in our own way struggled with still having this faith that is very childish, where we haven't grown into the fullness of God, or maybe where we've stopped growing into the fullness of God. Maybe we assume we, assume we are there, you know, and, and we have to be very careful of that. And I think a lot of times it's good because it's good for us to see symptoms and what those symptoms might, might mean, just, just like a doctor, right? If you go to a doctor's office and he says, well, what's, what's going on? Well, my knee hurts. Well, where? Well, it's on the inside, well, when did you notice this, right? They start asking all these questions. Why? They're asking these questions because if you tell them the symptoms, they can then maybe determine this is what's wrong. And so it's good for us, I think, to, to be able to look and say, what do we see going on? And maybe what is that indicating? And I think a lot of times we can see the different things that are going on in the life of church or in, uh, in the Christian church and say, these are some things that are going on. Maybe this is the problem. And I think one of the big problems within church life is what verse 14 brought out. We are children tossed to and fro. We go back and forth all the time. I remember, maybe this will help, I remember leaving MMBC and going off to school. And I, I went down to Kentucky to go to, go to school. And you know, I'm, I'm learning the Bible and doing this. And I remember just this weight of thinking, how do I know what I'm hearing is right? I really thought that. How, how do I know that what they're teaching me is right? There's, there are millions of Christian books out there that I could go buy on different topics, different passages. How do I know that this person is leading me? And I had this fear for myself that it would be very easy for me to be swayed into the wrong direction because I didn't really know. And so it was like, how do I, how do I know this? How do I determine this? And so it took years still going through that process of trying to study God's word, know God's word, have a firm foundation in the word of God so that when the, when the schemes of Satan, when all these different things come at me, I'm able to fight them off because of being solid in the word of God. And I still have a long process to go, I have, I have no doubt. But I just remember feeling that overwhelming feeling and then being called into the pastor, it was even worse. It was like, now people are asking me my thought. Wow, okay, I have to make sure I know what I'm, being, I'm saying here. Right? I, I gotta be able, I can tell the, the sheep from the wolves, the truth from the error. 
And so even in my own life, I've, I've, I've experienced this many times of feeling like being tossed back and forth. And I, I have to think if I've felt that, you felt that as well. And so we got to be careful of that. And so you remember last week, we, we really focused on the fact that we need to be under sound teaching and know that it is sound teaching. And we need to be focused on the Word of God. That needs to be our center. That needs to be our strategy. And so, yeah, we talked about how sometimes we get off of that. I talked about how there's, you know, this current church fad that's really been going on for a long time of where we make church less churchy. This, this pricked my kids' ears. Dad, you say we shouldn't have a basketball team at church? What's going on? I heard you say that. And I was like, no. I hope people didn't take it that way. I've played on almost all of our basketball teams, right? As long as I could. I've enjoyed that. Softball, I've, en I've enjoyed that, right? I I've enjoyed all these different things that we do. I'm not saying that stuff is bad, but that can become what you be, are known for. Then it's bad. Then it's bad, right? Or that becomes your strategy uh, of how we're going to get people into the church or how we're going to win them over to the Lord is these different things. That's not the church's strategy. God has given us his strategy. It's his word, Lord's Supper, baptism. These are the things he's given us as the church to hold on to. And that's all we have. And that's what draws people. That's what wins people to the Lord. That's what God uses to show them that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. And so really what I hope comes across is when a, when a stranger comes into this building, somebody who's not a member, or maybe that's you today, this is your first time here, and, you're, and maybe they're not a Christian, it should feel a little weird in here. We, Christians, it says, have been set apart from the world and, and we serve God and we worship God in our life and our focus is on him and so we sing songs of, of praise to him. We, we confess our sins to him. We, we preach about him and we want to know about him and we want to honor him and the fact is if you're not a Christian, that's not your life. And so it should be a little weird. It, it should be maybe even a little off-putting to you. Right? There's going to be things that non-Christians hear when they come into this building or hang out with Christians that they think, wait a second, you're talking bad about me. Now that's something we have to talk to them about. It's like, ah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean that bad by you, but sin is sin, and sin needs to be dealt with. Right? And so we have to make sure that we are staying salt in a world that doesn't want any salt anymore. Right? We have to make sure that that is where our focus is lies, right? Well, this was, this was verse 14. This is what we talked about last week, and our, our focus was on that. And again, yes, it could, be, it could have been difficult to hear, and I apologize if I was harsher than I needed to be, but our strategy needs to be centered on the Word of God and nothing else. Nothing else. And one of the things that I fear, and I've come across many people like this, is if I, if I could tell you the truth, but it's going to hurt, do you want to hear it? And I think the fact is most people say, no, leave me in my ignorance. Leave me to not have to worry about that, and I just can't do that. I just, I just cannot do that. And the reason is because I love you. And the reason is I think that this word, the word of God, actually is the truth. I believe that. It is the truth that not just you need, everybody needs to hear it. They need to know it. And so I hope that I was able to convey that some last week, but it needs to be balanced with the message today. And so there's probably people who aren't here this week, who were last week, that I need you guys to tell them, 
you need to listen to this week's sermon. It's going to balance last week's so that you understand what he was talking about. Because look at verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so in verse 15, again, we see him talking about rather speaking the truth in love. So what is the truth? Well, it's the word of God. This is what we've been talking about. It's what we focused on a lot of our time last week. This is the truth that we stand on in all things. The church of Jesus Christ stands on God's word, and we don't have anything else to stand on. That is our standard. It's unshakable. It's unmovable. And so this is our truth, and we as Christians live by this truth in all things. At least we should. And we strive to do that, hopefully. But it says we don't just have the truth. We have the truth in love. And that is very important. And we want to ask this question, what is love? What is this love that Paul is talking about here? And love has always been a very hard word to define. It's difficult for us even to grasp and understand at times. But this love here that Paul speaks of is a love that is rooted in the love that Jesus has for his church. The same love that we have for each other is the love that we have because Jesus has showed his love to us and it's rooted in how he loves his church. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus would tell that to his disciples and he's saying that, pointing to the fact that I'm about to do this for you. I'm going to die for you. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you've been saved by the grace of God, Jesus died for you. And I want to remind you again, it was not one whip that was for you. It wasn't one nail that was for you. It wasn't one heavy breath that was for you. It was the whole shebang was for you. For you. So for Tim, for, for me to be forgiven of my sins, it took the whole story the whole Pontius Pilate thing, the whole rest in the garden thing, the whole cross thing, the whole burial, and the whole resurrection was needed for me to be saved. Tim, and same for you. And Jesus did it for you. Why? Because he loves you. That's the love we're talking about here. That is the love that unites us together. And this love that we have experienced in Christ by his grace. The fact of the matter is, it's unreciprocal. I can't love Jesus like he loves me. I can't do that. I can't die for him. I cannot give my life for him. You say, well, he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Yes, I know that, but I cannot die for him in the way that he died for me. He doesn't need me to save him. He doesn't need any of that. He did that for me. It's an unreciprocal love that I cannot give back to him. But yet, what he calls me to do is he calls me to love his church. He calls me to love the people that he has put me with. And so then what I must do is I must do my best to love you, to love my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I try to do that in a way that is representative of how Christ has loved me. And so I should be willing to humble myself before you every chance I get, right? I should be willing to do whatever I can to show you my love 
whenever I get that opportunity. And you should do that for me. And you should do it for the people you're sitting by in the pews. The north should do it to the south. We love each other. Why? Because Christ loves us. And the way that we tell Christ we love him, what he tells us in here is we care for the body. We love the body. Now, there's some caveats here that I think we need to think about. Number one, we, can, we have to be careful to never sacrifice love for truth. And so what I mean is this. You will run into people who always run around, and this is what they do. They're like sniffing dogs looking for drugs, but what they're looking for is hypocrisy. <laughs> Did I hear theological error? Did I hear it? Did I smell it? Do I taste it? And that's all that they look for all the time. And they just want to get on people's cases, and they just want to jump on them at all, all instances and all times. You, maybe you know that person. You know, you're in Sunday school class, and the teacher's like, who has the answer? And you're like, I'm not going to say a thing because I know he's going to jump on me in a minute. If I say anything wrong, he's going to be all over my case. And next thing I know, he's going to say, I don't even think you're a Christian. That's sacrificing, right? That, that's sacrificing love for truth. And the problem is, Scripture talks about this, and we're going to read it in a minute in 1 Corinthians 13. If you just sit there and talk about all you have is truth and you have not love, you have nothing. You have nothing. It's a waste of time. What you're saying is not going to get across to anybody and so we have to make sure that we're not sacrificing love for truth. But yet when we're sharing truth, which we need to do, we need to be faithful to do that. When we're sharing truth, we are doing it in a, in a loving way to the people, understanding that Jesus has died for me and Jesus has died for them. And I love them because of that. And yes, okay, there's an error here. We need to deal with it. But we have to do it lovingly. Because we love them and care for them. Not because we want to prove them wrong. Not because we want to show them up. Not because we want to make them feel dumb. We want to make them feel ignorant. No, we want that. We care about them and we love them and we want them to know truth. But we also have to be willing to accept that when it comes in a loving way. You know, of understanding. Maybe I was out of line. Maybe the thing I said was wrong, actually. Thank you for helping me see that and correcting that. Or maybe I need to understand this better. I'm not sure I get a firm grasp on this. But we love each other through this. But on the flip side of that, we have to be very careful that we never sacrifice truth for love. And this is what I think is one of the biggest problems within churches today. Is we sacrifice truth. Why? So that we can show everybody we love them. Uh, we see this within the evangelical world way too much. The people in the pews are way more important than what is being said right here. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to see anybody leave. We have a building that costs $4 million and it costs a lot of money to upkeep. Everybody who leaves costs money. I need them to stay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we organize a service in a way that just lets them know, hey, this is all about you. And I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel so excited when you are here. And I just want you to come on back again next week. Well, what's the way to do that? I can tell you it's very easy. Scratch those itching ears. Scratch those itching ears. Let everybody know how awesome they are. And let everybody know because you're so awesome, God loves you. I mean, you guys are just great. You're just, you're just fantastic. The things that you do every day, awesome. Now, we could do this and we could do this. You see, we talk in this way 
that we act like we love, but there's no, there's no truth behind it of telling people, actually, we're all sinners. Your life is messed up. Your life, is, your life hurts, no doubt. You suffer. There's death within your family. There's all these different things of struggles and heartache. Right? Those, are the, those are the true things that need to be shared. Again, they need to be shared in love, but we can't, we can't get away from the truth just so that we can say, well, we love people. We just did this big, long series on the podcast that we do as pastors um, on progressive Christianity. And this is one of the big things within progressive Christianity now, is they, you need to love people more than telling them the truth. And so this is why you see, sadly, many churches who are taking stuff that has been sin within Christian communities for 2,000 years. It's never been debated, never been questioned, and now it's being said, eh, who are we to say that? Hey, you're the church. You're the one with the truth. Yeah, but how is that ever going to win anybody? We just need to love them. We just need to accept them. We just need to show them that we, that we care about them and do this. And that, that's really what is, what is best. No, it's not. You are sacrificing truth for the sake of love, but you're also changing the definition of love. And we have to be careful with that. The fact is, today, truth can seem very unloving. But we as believers know that the truth of God's word is actually the greatest love that has ever been written. It's the greatest love that we have. It's the truth that we have been given that we are supposed to share with the world. Nothing else. We as the church have nothing else to give this world other than the word of God. It's all we have. That's it. We can't make up anything else. This is, this is what we got. This is who we are. And when the world says, yeah, but I don't like that, we can't say, well, We'll switch it up. It doesn't work that way. It's all we've got. It's who we are. It's all we have. And so, yes, we as the church are going to be different. Yes, we ha that's going to happen. The world is going to be upset at times. But we must be willing to hold together truth and love, just like verse 15 says. And as we do this, as a body of Christ, as we are faithful to do our best to, to love each other well and also hold on to the truth of God's word, what we will see is we will see ourselves mature. We will see what, what verse 14 was talking about, the warning there. We will see that we start to become the fullness of Christ together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we actually read last week, but I didn't get to it in the message but after 1 Corinthians 12, which is talking about all these gifts, it's talking about the unity of believers, it's talking about all these things, at the end of verse 12, it says, I have something else to say, and then it goes, rolls into verse, to chapter 13. And this is what Paul says, you've heard this at many weddings, but we're talking about the church, and we're talking about the unity of the church, and Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, notice that, all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes and the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the balance to last week's sermon. There's, there's truth, yes, and we need to understand that, and, and we, need, we need to grow up. But one of the things that Paul wants us to be very clear there is no growth without love. There's no growth without truth, and there's no growth without love. We need to make sure we balance both of those things very well. That yes, we sit under the word of God being preached, and we study God's word, and we read God's word together, but also that we make sure that we love each other together. I really think 1 Corinthians 13 could be an invitation call. I really feel like I could stand in front of this pulpit and say, I'm going to read this, and you need to come confess your sin. I know it's very, very evident for me as I read 1 Corinthians 13 that I fail in a lot of these things. Never irritable? Always irritable. Always irritable. Right? I mean, you can go on and on. Patient with each other, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, rejoices in truth, Love bears all things, believes all things. Yeah, right, I'm the most cynical person in the world. I doubt everything. Everything everybody tells me. Eh, I don't know if that's true. That's always my first thought. That's my confession. I'm just being honest. Truth and love together is how the church grows together. Because we get to verse 16. At the end of 15 there it says, into Christ, who's the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What we see in the church is Jesus is the head of the church. He is what keeps everything going. He is what keeps everything functioning. He's not just the head. It says he's what holds everything together. Jesus holds every single thing together. And so Paul reminds us of this, that hey, this whole church thing only works because of Jesus. It's not because you're so awesome. It's not because your pastor is so great. The only reason this church thing works is because of the one who is the head, Jesus. He makes it work. He holds everything together at all times. And when we start to lose focus of this is when we start to get in trouble. I've lamented about this before, but I receive mail all the time about new church strategies that we should go with. How this one is outdated and this one is going to work better now. The problem is, very rarely does it even talk about Jesus being the head of the church. 
Very rarely it's about marketing schemes and strategies and what you look like and your social media profile as a church and all these different sorts of things. I, I had one that had the audacity to tell me, if you want a good evangelism strategy, buy new screens. So we looked into it. $170,000 they wanted. That's how you win people to the Lord. Screens. But they sell them. And it goes as a strategy. And you're not a faithful church unless you have screens. You don't love your community unless you have a good screen. See, this is the stuff that is heartbreaking. It becomes so easy to lose the focus of who is the head. Now, is it wrong to have screens? No. No, it's not at all. I don't know if I could read a hymnal anymore. I can't even see it. I need big letters, up, big words up there. Helps me. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but we lose our focus of what actually helps us grow. Who is making all this work? And it's Jesus who holds it all together. It's really been one of the things that I've struggled with, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, and really getting involved in some church planting stuff, because I am worried a little bit that the strategy is you need to have a really cool pastor. I find out that that's not me. Honestly, when I come back from these things, I think I'm disqualified from being a pastor. I don't have any ripped jeans, I don't have cool hair, I don't play an instrument. And I don't like social media. I'm out. I mean, honestly, that's what I feel like when I leave those places. I'm like, I don't fit. I don't fit in here. I don't fit into this strategy. And so what I feel like you're telling me is I shouldn't be the pastor of a church. And there's other church planners who feel that same way. I, I see them. I, I talk to them. I, I hear this stuff. And it seems like the strategy needs to be, the pastor needs to be the celebrity and it's easy to get caught up in that because even when you guys called me to be the pastor, you know, I'd have people come and say, you need to get involved in the community. You know, you need to get your name out there. We, I need to get you to this function or to this function. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But one of the things that I have to remember, and I hope that you realize too, is I'm your pastor, not theirs. I'm not going to change this community. I'm not going to change the culture of it. You know, maybe by God's grace, there could be some great revival. That'd be great. Be more than happy to do that. But I'm not the linchpin to this thing working. If I die tomorrow, someone will take my place. And the church will keep going just fine. Why? Because Jesus lives. It's not about Tim living. It's about Jesus living. And so we need to make sure that we are functioning as the body of Christ, how we should be in the place that God has called us to be, trusting in Jesus, because what it says here is when all that stuff is happening, growth happens. Growth occurs. When things function how they should, pastors doing what they're supposed to do, teachers doing what they're supposed to do, the evangelists doing what they are supposed to do, the body of Christ ministering to each other how they are supposed to do, as we saw in verse 12, 11 and 12. This is when growth happens, number one, for you as an individual. You as an individual Christian should be growing. You should be growing in your faith. You should be growing in your knowledge of God's word and the understanding of God's word. That's something that you have to take very seriously. And when we as a church function right, we help you in that as an individual. But also we should see growth as the church as a whole. 
Because since we are called the body of Christ, the body grows naturally together. Right? That's how it works. As you see these teens grow and these kids grow, they all grow at the same time. Their hands and their feet grow and their legs grow and their body grows. This is how it works. This is how it functions. And so within the church, that's what we need to be seeing as well. The the whole body growing. Not leaving people behind. No, the, the whole body growing together. And so we hear from the word of God together. We let God change our hearts. God changes and works in our life together. We function as a body together. How we spend money, we decide on these things and how we organize and the programs that we do and the services that we do. We do all these things together with a purpose in mind of this is what God has called us to here in this community to love each other but also to love the lost who are here which there's a lot of them in our community. A lot of lost people. And as we do that, I believe this, as we grow, I do think you would see growth numerically. I think it's just kind of natural. You let other people know. We're growing. You know, I'm learning about how God loves me, how God loves you, and I think naturally God uses that evangelism to see his church grow. I think that's the best strategy that's out there because I think it's the natural one that the Word of God teaches us. People coming to know the Lord because of the witness of the church, because of you, because of you inviting your friends here, your family members here, saying, listen, I'm a part of a church who who seems to love each other. They seem to care for each other. And listen, that happens here. You see funerals happening and you see people stepping up and, and going to the services or, or helping with luncheons or I see people who are sick and shut in and when I go visit, they say, hey, so-and-so was just here yesterday and here yesterday and it's the church loving on each other. Or you get invited to somebody's house and you go over, there's all kinds of church people there. And it's like, I didn't know I was working. I didn't know I had to come here and work. It's like, huh? Well, I guess we're on. That's the church loving each other though. Caring for each other. Being with each other. And this is what draws other people in. More so than anything else, when they see the church standing on truth and love, it draws them in. And they want to be a part. So this is what we must do. Throughout history, throughout the history of the church, and Pastor Spencer would be better for you to talk to about this because he, he's just really good at these things, but what we see is when God really makes a movement happen, within his kingdom. It's always centered on the word of God. Always. Always centered on the word of God. I'm looking forward to this, but on October 31st, which is Halloween, is a Sunday. We will have Sunday evening service. And Pastor Spencer's going to preach on the Reformation because that's actually Reformation Day. And so Pastor Spencer's going to preach on on the Reformation and some of the historical aspects of it. But it was centered on the word of God. And you and I would not be sitting here today if that didn't happen. If that didn't happen. But because there was a resurgence of going back to say, what does God's word actually say? I know you're saying this, but is this really what God's word says? And it changed history. The reason we have a Bible, the reason in front of you in the pew you have a Bible that you can take home with you, or probably around your house you have Bibles that are just thrown around or whatever. The reason you have that Bible is because There were men who were willing to translate that Bible and give their life for it, and God used that drastically in the life of the church. We could go on and on about the different times that God did this. 
But this is what it takes for a movement of God to happen is being grounded on the truth of God's word. I've heard a lot of different strategies too for how to have revival, right? Uh, we, gotta, we gotta make a revival happen. So let's get the choir going and amped up. Let's get a preacher that everybody knows and get them in there, right? Let, let's do some things. Maybe we throw a tent outside because God only works in tents. So we gotta go get the tent. Right? These are our strategies. we got to make revival happen. Revival doesn't happen, but only through the word of God. That's it. And we should pray that, yes, that should happen. God, use your word to spread like fire in this church, and then let it spill out to these people. Why? Because, one, we want them to know truth, but, number two, we love them. Because truth without love Clanging symbol, nothing. Love with no truth, waste of time. But as a church, a faithful church, we should have both. Truth and love. Centered on the word of God. Letting each other know we love them, each other. But letting them know there's a God that loves you. There's a Savior named Jesus who would die for you. Do you trust him? Will you accept him? Will, will you understand that you're a sinner and you're separated from God and only Jesus can solve that problem? Will you trust in that? When we do that out of truth and love, I believe that God will work. Not everybody will bow their knee and say, yes, I believe. Probably not even the majority. But God is still working. God is just as powerful today as he was when Jesus was raised from the dead. And that same power is changing hearts all around our world, and it can still happen here. It can still happen in your family. But we have to be faithful to be the body that God has called us to be, loving each other and speaking the truth together as often as we can. I don't really know how to end this service, honestly. I don't know how to call your attention to something of, of what you need to work on. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will use his word this morning to prick your heart. We are going to sing a song like we always do, and it's a time for you to respond to the word of God however you should, however you feel fit to do that. But I want to pray first, and then we'll sing together. And I'm going to trust that you'll respond to the word of God how we need to this morning. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those who are here this morning and able to hear it. God, help us to be people of truth and love. God, we see in your word law. We see things written down. You must do this. You shouldn't do that. We see all of this. But then we also see your grace and how we've fallen short of all of that truth of the things that we're supposed to do, but yet through Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin, of how we fall short of that truth and, and be called righteous. And so God, even as Christians now, we, we know that we still fall short each and every day, but yet you're a God who loves us and forgives us. And so we see even in your word this balance of truth and, and love over and over and over again. God, help us to live that out within this body of Christ here at this church. To love each other. Like 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. God, to really try to live that out. 
I know it's often read at weddings and we say that we're going to love our spouse that way, but actually we're called to love each other that way, not just our spouse. And so God, help us to, to do that. Help us to never sacrifice love for truth or to, to never sacrifice truth for love, but to be faithful in those things. God, I, I pray that you would help each and every individual Christian here this morning to be honest with you to search their heart that you would help reveal to them maybe, I don't know, something they need to repent of or something, an area maybe where they need to grow and, and work, work a little harder in. Maybe it's in studying your word or, or maybe it's in prayer or whatever it might be. But God, I really hope that they would see how much you love them as a Christian, how you've adopted them into your family, how Jesus would die for them. God, that they would feel that love, that they would sense that love, that they would know that love, and that they would live by that love and honor you in everything they say and everything they do. God, as we sing this song now, help us to worship you, help us to honor you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.